Do colitas smell like? Airless tires and don't screw with grandma. Seriously, you won't believe this story. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. Happy Saturday night. Yes, it is a Saturday. We are live on Facebook Live, YouTube, uh, Twitch.tv, and of course, rumble.com wherever you may be listening or looking in on the show we're also a, a podcast you can find us on all the podcast platforms we are there and uh yeah just search for the jay sheldon show click follow or subscribe and that's it we get literally we get hundreds of downloads every week and thank you so much to all those good folks from apple google Podcasts, spotify geo7 in india and uh, all kinds of places around the planet. So we appreciate that. All right. And of course, uh, first thing off on our show tonight, of course, as we always do, is we update you on our favorite furry little girl. Miko update. Miki, Miki, Miko update. Oh, yeah. She is doing well. In fact, I have a plan tonight. Miko, do you want your cookie? Miko, I got your cookie. The only way to get her on the show is to bribe her. Now, she was in the studio just a little bit. Serena Lee, hey, thanks for the like. Appreciate it. And the view. Uh, Miko. Miko, baby. Miko, you want your cookie? Come here, bud. She knows what's going on. That's why she's ignoring me. Normally, she would be in here like a shot for this thing. If you're listening on the podcast, I'm holding up one of her favorite treats. It smells awful, though. I don't. I mean, it's a dog thing, but eh, no, thank you. Miko, you want your cookie? Come here. Anyhow, bottom line is the update. She's doing great. Uh, she's <laughs> she had a couple of good long walks today, and uh, she's been eating me out of house and home, which is great. And uh, for some reason, Miko. Your cookie's here. All right. She's probably going to come sniffing in if she does while we're doing the rest of the show. I'll see if I can snag her. I really thought this was going to work. I really did. She hasn't been live on the show in so long. All right. Anyway, <laughs> um, we want to thank our sponsors of the Miko Update, and that is the good folks at BarkBox. Yes, indeed. Now, if you're in the U.S., U.S. territories, or I believe Canada, they ship to all those places. Sadly, they do not internationally ship yet. So unless you've got one of those international forward shipping services, um, it won't do you any good. But if you are in the U.S., and I know I have a big audience there, uh, just check out BarkBox.com slash Miko. The link is the top link in our show notes. And you will find this, which is including an exclusive offer of a free extra month if you sign up for a multi-month subscription. What it is, is a box that comes every month. You sign up for one month, six months, or 12 months. The longer you sign up for, of course, the less expensive per month. And inside the box, you get a custom themed toys. Every month is a new theme. And the, there are a couple of toys, two or three toys, and a couple of bags of treats, 
which will last you for the month, and a dog chew. And everyone is themed to whatever the theme is that month. It's very cute. You got to check it out. Uh, and it comes every month. Just like that, a subscription for your monthly dog joy. Your first box ships immediately, and uh, your month-long long doggy party begins. Uh, so do check out the link in our show notes. Barkbox.com slash Miko is the link. And uh, you will get a great deal and an extra month for free if you sign up using my link there. BarkBox.com slash Miko. So check it out and check out their, their great, great folks over there. Customer service is phenomenal. If you ever don't like something, they will replace it. And uh, who is that? Aaron Ong. Hey, Aaron Ong. Welcome in. Thanks for the like. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, BarkBox.com does a great job. And also, uh, there are small, medium, and large sizes you can pick according to what size dog you have and uh, also all their treats and chews are 100% natural if you look on the back on the ingredients there's only like four five six ingredients because it's all natural stuff there's no chemicals and all that other junk they put in and some of those big branded uh, things I checked this company out thoroughly before I brought them on as a sponsor and they are the bee's knees they can be trusted you will not be disappointed barkbox.com slash Miko Miko I just did your commercial, and you're still going to ignore me. I got your cookie when you want it. It's right here. <laughs> All right. She's, she's just not going to show up. Even for your sponsor. Sorry, BarkBox. We tried. All right. Uh, we. <laughs> I know. I tried. I, uh, I put the uh, title of tonight's show, Warm Smell of Kalitas. If you are, you know, probably not even if you're as old as I am, no matter how old you are, the chances are you know that line from that song. It is, of course, <clears throat> the uh, second or third line from the Eagles' Hotel California, uh, which is the title track from their album of the same name. Now, according to this source, it says it was released as a single in February of 77. I don't think that's right. And here's why. Because I graduated from high school in 1976. Yeah, I know. I'm not freaking old. But <laughs> um, that song was out the year I graduated from high school. So it wasn't 77. It was 76. Um, the writing credits for the song are shared by uh, Don Felder, Don Henley, and Glenn Fry. And Joe Walsh came up with the dual guitar arpeggio part that ends the song. Um, he did not, however, get any writing credits in the, uh, in the official credits for the song. Um, the song is considered the best known recording by the band. And one of the best known recordings, really, of any rock song of all time. It has always topped all the charts. Um, its long guitar coda voted the best guitar solo of all time by a guitarist magazine. There's a reason behind this. I'll tell you why coming up in a bit. Um, but uh, it's been covered by all kinds of artists. Every bar band on earth does it. Some well, some not so well. Um, they have performed Hotel California live 1,038 times. The third most 
out of all of their songs. Desperado is number two, and Take It Easy is number one. Absolutely amazing. On a dark desert highway, cool wind in my hair, warm smell of Kalitas rising up through the air. And no doubt you know the album cover, you know the song. Uh, this is a really cool article. I put the link to this in our show notes tonight. Uh, behind the lyrics of Hotel California, people have had all kinds of amazing theories and satanic uh, theories about the album and all. Um, their biggest hit, a song about a hotel in California, a recent conversation this author had uh, was once again reminded that even though the popularity of the track was immensely high on a worldwide level, the lyrics continue to remain misinterpreted, even from people who claim they are fans. Of course, that's somehow understandable because the true meaning of the song is very well disguised in very clever words and genius metaphors. Um, the writer says, I grew up with the Eagles. So did I. My, my era, really, for music, you know how we kind of define our lives by the music of our teenage years and all? Mine really was the 70s in which I was a teenager. But really, that was, a, that was a cool era for music because it started out in the early 70s with, you know, the leftover 60s groups. So there was, you know, James Taylor, Joni Mitchell, all that kind of thing. And then it evolved. The Eagles, uh, you know, became popular. Uh, all that great rock from uh, uh, all those amazing bands. I, I'm just, you know, Jethro Tull is one that comes to mind. Uh, Leonard Skinnerd. Uh, Eagles, of course, and then the disco era also began, and music took an entire left turn into the disco, Saturday Night Fever, and all that, uh, you know, Donna Summer, and, and, and all. So the 70s, which I really consider to be my era of music, was fascinating. But anyway, um, it's understandable the true meaning of the song, um, is often misunderstood. Uh, grew up with the Eagles as a kid, quite limited English language skills, could somehow sense there was more behind that generic title. And uh, so this article, check it out. It's very well written and very interesting. And it, it refers to a documentary done about Don Henley uh, back in 2013, uh, actually given a lot of interpretation of this song all of them somehow connected and adding to each other following a similar theme, uh, a sociopolitical statement. It was really, these are quotes from Don Henley. It was really about the excesses of American culture and certain girls we knew. But it was also about the uneasy balance between art and commerce. It's a song about the dark underbelly of the American dream and about excess in America which was something we knew about. Song about a journey from innocence to experience. We, are all, we were all middle-class kids from the Midwest. He talks about the Eagles. Uh, Hotel California was our interpretation of the high life in Los Angeles. This is an amazing article, and you really got to check it out. There's another link that I put in our show notes tonight. And... Uh, you will find more information about that and about um, 
the amazing Hotel California. Let me just see. Uh, let me see if I can grab one more here before we move on. Anyway, I have a personal story about Hotel California, and it's a weird one, very weird one. Um, yeah, here we go. This is the second link you'll find in our show notes tonight, and it is from uh, the BBC.com. Um, on Glenn Fry interviewed how Hotel California destroyed the Eagles. Seriously. Uh, while the band did break up in 1980, a music continued without us, wrote Glenn Fry in 2000. Uh, it's becoming increasingly apparent to me that no matter where I went or what I did, for the rest of my life, I would always be an eagle. Glenn Fry, of course, passed away at age 67. Um, we've lost several of the Eagles, sadly. Uh, but this is another great article. If you're an Eagle fan, even if you're not, you must know the song Hotel California, and you got to check this out. Now, here's, it's a weird story. I, I Granted, it's a weird story. But this has been one of my all-time favorite songs since it came out back in 76. And the reason is a strange one. I had a, you know, we all have our best buddies growing up. My best buddy in high school, he was also a neighbor. We both lived in West Cornwall, Connecticut. And that was John Mulligan. John was a big, strapping, handsome, six-foot, blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy. Um, he was an amazing man and uh, had an incredible career after he went through college. He was a Marine. After the Marines, he was a captain in the Marine Corps. Yeah, the Marines, man. And after that, he actually became an FBI agent. That was back in the days when the FBI had some credibility, as opposed to today. But uh, I lost track. John and I lost contact, and uh, John got married. I believe he had a family. Um, and I have tried several times over the last 30, 40 years to hunt him down. Um, but he's unhuntable. So if anybody in my old hometown happens to have a lead on where John is and uh, a way that I could get a hold of him, um, just a little personal appeal there. Anyway, we were doing, we did musical theater when I was in high school, and we did uh, Fiddler on the Roof, we did Auntie Mame, we did all kinds of great shows. One of the shows we did was a funny thing happened on the way to the forum, which I starred in. I, I had the part of Pseudalus, you know, uh, something familiar, something peculiar, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. You must know that song. Maybe not. Anyway. Uh, John would pick me up because he drove. I didn't have a car. And we would drive to rehearsals or performances. And during the rehearsals, which was like every night, every night for weeks on end while we were rehearsing the show, every single time he would pick me up, I would get in the car and that song would come on the radio. It was just weird now it so happened that it was just released at the time so you know when they just release a new song and it becomes a big hit it plays like twice an hour but 
<clears throat> it was just the strangest thing because even if we weren't going to a rehearsal, we'd get together on the weekend and we'd hang out. And every single time we would hang out, that song would play. Well, it so happened on closing night of the show that we were doing. And uh, we went to the rap party and it was a lot of fun. We had a great time. It was very five, six o'clock in the morning. And I remember this. I can close my eyes and see this. It's a very personal story, but, but I think you'll enjoy it. We're sitting there. We're tired. It's 5, 6 o'clock in the morning. We're in the high school parking lot at Housatonic Valley Regional High School. And in the side parking lot, it probably isn't there anymore. You looked out over the football field. And the sun was just coming up over the mountains. I kid you not, as the first ray of sunlight peeked over the top of the mountain, the opening riff of Hotel California came on the radio. I'm telling you, it was scary, scary. John and I just looked at each other and we're like, whatever, dude. It was so strange. I know, weird story, but that's my strange connection and why I love this song, Hotel California. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I just wanted to share it because I thought it was weird. It is weird. Oh, my goodness. Okay. What else is going on tonight? We got lots to, uh, lots to talk about. Uh, let me see. Oh, yeah. Malay this is Malaysia so again it's it's a little specific to my home country here but uh it's weird nevertheless and it's some stuff that you may not know hey back 20 over years ago when i first heard about malaysia i did what most westerners do and i said where's malaysia i had been to thailand i had been to singapore which is right malaysia's right in between the two and I still didn't know where Malaysia was. I know. So this Reddit was uh, came up. The link is in our show notes because it's cool. Share it out. Uh, what is a fact about Malaysia that sounds fake? Tell me the most interesting thing you know about Malaysia that sounds made up. And people have answered. And some of the answers are kind of cool. We have nine kings at the same time. They take turns being the king of kings. So our current Agong, which is what how we refer to the king as Agong, is a, one of the sultans of one of the states. And then, I forget what it is, every four years or five years, something like that, every six years, uh, they switch. And it's a specific order they go in. Our current Agong, by the way, is a very cool guy. Uh, anyway, they take turns being the king of kings. Uh, someone, uh, this one boggles some of my foreign friends. We have nine kings. No, our country is not like Game of Thrones. Although, uh, when you think about it, <laughs> maybe it is. Uh, Grand Inquist and Inquisitor, who's going to win? Uh, depends. Okay. Uh, basically like Westeros. Initially, these nine kings have absolute rule over their own states. Uh, even when... Uh, went to war over territories, and then they were unified under one flag 
but still have control over their own states, and they take turns being the king of the kings. Uh, so, there you go. Uh, Perak is still doing the, the rotation. Okay. Uh, actually, a gong means supreme. Oh, I did not know that. All right, the king among the kings, supreme king, a gong. Uh, cool. All right, so this talks a lot about the king thing, but um, <laughs> there are other things in here. We used to have a British Raja for Sarawak, and both Sabah and Sarawak, which are on the island of Borneo, uh, have their own immigration service. Tourists arrive in KL. They only have permission for West Malaysia, and if you go to East Malaysia, which is Sabah and Sarawak, you will get a new visa if you visit those states. So if you're from outside of Malaysia and you come for a visit, <clears throat> I highly encourage you to check out Sabah and Sarawak. Culturally, they are magical. Uh, but just bear in mind, they have a separate immigration over there. So your visa for Peninsular Malaysia does not cover those states. All right. Uh <laughs> There's a lot of these in here. Uh, they're talking about some of the strange things that, oh, the fact that we call everybody boss. Uh, because uh, it says here, uh, a boss, uh, everybody's boss. You go to a restaurant, you talk to the waiter or a mamak stall. Hey, boss, take that Kramanisa, whatever. But um, everyone is boss. We call everybody boss. And they call you boss. So, yeah, the boss of bosses. Uh, check this link out. It's in our show notes. It's very cool, and it talks about some of the some of the strangeities that are this country that I live in and love. Sorry, coffee break time. Hang on, I'm gonna try Miko one more time. Miko, you want your cookie? Miko, cookie time. Miko, cookie time. Wow, she really, really does not want to come in this studio. It's frightening. Oh, man. All right. You know what? We have covered this on a whole bunch of different shows. I'm almost sick of talking about it, but we're going to do it again because this is totally laughable. Um, we talked about how uh, the health department, the health ministry, KJ and the gang, are smartly uh, thinking about looking at uh, approving the medical use of marijuana I've told you my views before. I do not encourage drug use. Marijuana is not a drug. It's a plant. It's very helpful. Uh, hemp itself has amazing properties, which could go a long way to solving some problems we have with um, wood and things. Uh, but anyway, this will show you exactly how brainwashed people are. This comes from Singapore, not Malaysia, but... You know, Joseph Schooling apologizes for a moment of weakness after admitting to consuming cannabis. <laughs> this is the stupidity, the way we've brainwashed people to think about this. Look, marijuana isn't a gateway drug. It isn't a drug at all. It won't hurt you. It will likely help you. If it's something you want to do, you go ahead and do it. It's legal if it's legal where you are. And in most people, most countries that have actually woken up and realized the error of their ways, it is more and more becoming either no more than a parking ticket or completely legal. And by the way, for those of you who 
are against legalizing marijuana, two words, tax dollars, okay? He says, I'm sorry my actions have caused hurt to everyone around me, especially to my family and the young fans who look up to me. I gave in to a moment of weakness after going through a very tough period of my life. I demonstrated bad judgment, and I'm very sorry. It won't happen again. I'll make amends. Singaporean Olympic gold medalist Joseph Schooling issued an apology after admitting he consumed cannabis. When will the day come where we don't have to read these stupid stories and people will wake up and smell the coffee? I don't know when, but it ain't going to be tomorrow. Richard Wyman, Metapyman, going to the fair. Thank you for the like. <laughs> Appreciate it. All right. You ready for an airless tire? No, no, not a run-flat tire. An airless tire. Full-on tire, full-size tire. No air. Check this out. Look at that. How cool is that? Alvin Tios liked the stream. Alvin, thank you very much. Nice to have you along. Hardy hi-ho, tip of the hat, Alvin. Look at this. Airless Tire will get their public test drive. They are puncture-proof and apparently more environmentally friendly. Look at this design. Man, some engineers went nuts with this thing. There's no air. In fact, look at that. You can see right through it. The electric Mini Cooper that rolled around Munich's auto show this past September on airless tires uh, may have big implications for you. The next few years, the French manufacturer Michelin, or if it's a French manufacturer, it would be Michelin, uh, is, ho <laughs> is hoping these tires will be on your car. Michelin airless tires have been the works for over a decade. It's taken 10 years to design these things. Mm, look a bit like toy car tires, to be honest. It drew some uh, stares at the auto show, <clears throat> but overall passengers seem rather pleased with the new technology. <clears throat> it was an exceptional experience for us. Our greatest satisfaction came at the end of the demonstration when our passengers, who were admittedly a little wary at first, said they felt no difference compared to conventional tires. Technical, Scientific Communications uh, Director Cyril Roger said in a press release. They considered the tires, dubbed UPTIS, U-P-T-I-S, which stands for Unique Puncture Proof Tire System, an important step on the road to sustainability. As the name suggests, the airless tires will not puncture because they have no air in them and therefore they should last longer. So, less tires need to be produced, limiting waste. Take a look at these things. That is an engineering marvel. That is absolutely incredible. Check it out. If you want to read the whole article, the link is in our show notes tonight, and you can check that out. All right, we got one more good news story before we uh, head on over to our book. We always like to end with uh, something funny or good news wise and and this is a little bit of both actually <laughs> don't screw with grandma and i'm not kidding 
an intruder broke into a senior citizen's home. Five-foot-tall, 100-pound grandma was ready for him. Hey, Zoo, good to see you in there. Hi, Zoo. All right. Yeah, check this out. There's the granny. I said, could you be careful? He's going to kill us. She said, not tonight. Lorenza Marujo, a small woman in her senior years, just around five feet tall, looked to be a susceptible prey to an invader who was targeting a senior citizen's complex. However, Lorenzo, who has more than 20 years of martial arts training, was no match for the invader. In uh, California, Lorenzo confronted the man who was breaking into her apartment. She stated that she shouted, Back off! Zubaida, thanks for the like. Uh, She said she yelled at him to back off as he was going towards her. And after giving Lorenzo one more glance, the intruder exited her flat. But she didn't have to wait long before she heard cries. Sadly, the burglar then went for Elizabeth McRae, her 81-year-old neighbor and friend. He shook her until she collapsed to the ground. Lorenzo was not about to let him injure her pal, and she intervened after calling the cops. Having trained in martial arts for 26 years, Lorenza has a black belt. She was advised by Elizabeth to exercise caution since he's going, she's, he's going to murder them. Lorenza said, not tonight. She wedged herself between Elizabeth and him. She leaped on him and started pounding him while holding a cane to his throat. She turned his arm around as his arm rose, and he said, You're hurting me. You're hurting me. Aw. She responded, He has no right to attack an elderly person, and she doesn't care what occurs to him. (laughs) (laughs) Look at that face. Until the cops came, she was able to hold the invader down on the ground. This woman is old. Elizabeth was brought to the hospital, later released, and the accused was detained. Although Lorenza was battling off invaders and the cops warned individuals not to do that, who knows what might have happened if she hadn't. And there she is, cane in hand, 67-year-old woman, and this invader guy much younger invader guy got his butt whooped by this 67 year old black belt if you want to check out the video and read the whole story the link is in our show notes tonight (laughs) you got to check it out because it's a cool cool story (laughs) i love it all right let's get on with our uh, with our book here we're doing the adventures of sherlock holmes we're going to wrap up this adventure tonight, the barreled coronet, find out exactly what happened. It got very interesting on our last stream. And then that's going to leave us with one more adventure to go in Sherlock Holmes. And after that, we'll move on to another book. So let's do it. A very weird twist in this story. 
uh, for heaven's sake, tell me then, what is this extraordinary mystery? And Holmes said, I'll do so. I'll show you the steps by which I reached my conclusion. But let me say to you first that, which is hardest for me to say and for you to hear, there's been an understanding between Sir George Burwell, Burnwell and your niece Mary. They have now fled together. My Mary? Impossible. It is unfortunately more than possible. It is certain. Neither you nor your son knew the true character of this man when you admitted him into your family circle. He is one of the most dangerous men in England, a ruined gambler, an absolutely desperate villain, a man without heart or conscience. Your niece knew nothing of such men. When he breathed his vows to her, he'd done so to a hundred before her. She flattered herself that she alone had touched his heart. The devil knows best what he said, but at least she became his tool and was in the habit of seeing him nearly every evening. I cannot, I will not believe it, cried the banker with an ashen face. I will tell you then what occurred in your house last night. Your niece, when you had, as she thought, gone to your room, slipped down and talked to her lover through the window which leads into the stable lane. Her footmarks had pressed right through the snow so long as he had stood there. She told him of the coronet, his wicked lust for gold kindled at the news, and she and he bent her to his will. I have no doubt that she loved you, but there are women in whom the love of a lover extinguishes all other loves, and I think she must have been one. She had hardly listened to his instructions when she saw you come downstairs on which she closed the window rapidly and told you about one of the servants' escapades with her wooden-legged lover, which was all perfectly true. Your boy Arthur went to bed after his interview with you, but he slept badly on account of his uneasiness about his club debts. In the middle of the night, he heard a soft tread pass his door, so he rose and, looking out, was surprised to see his cousin walking very stealthily along the passage until she disappeared into your dressing room. Petrified with astonishment, the lad slipped on some clothes and waited there in the dark to see what would come of this strange affair. Presently she emerged from the room again, and in the light of the passage lamp your son saw that she carried the precious coronet in her hands. She passed down the stairs, and he thrilling with horror, ran along and slipped behind the curtain near your door, whence he could see what passed in the hall beneath. He saw her stealthily open the window and hand out the coronet to someone in the gloom, and then, closing it once more, hurry back to her room, passing quite close to where he stood behind the curtain. As long as she was on the scene, he could not take any action without a horrible exposure of the woman he loved. But the instant she was gone, he realized how crushing a misfortune this would be for you, how all-important it was to set it right. He rushed down, just as he was, in his bare feet, opened the window, sprang out into the snow, and ran down the lane, where he could see a dark figure in the moonlight. Sir George Burnwell tried to get away, but Arthur caught him, and there was a struggle between them, 
your lad tugging at one side of the coronet and his opponent on the other. In the scuffle, your son struck Sir George and cut him over the eye. Then something suddenly snapped, and your son, finding that he had the coronet in his hands, rushed back, closed the window, ascended to your room, and had just observed that the coronet had been twisted in the struggle. and was endeavoring to straighten it when you appeared on the scene. Is it possible? gasped the banker. You then roused his anger by calling him names at a moment when he felt he had deserved your warmest thanks. He could not explain the true state of affairs without betraying one who certainly deserved little enough consideration at his hands. He took the more chivalrous view, however, and preserved her secret. That was why she shrieked and fainted when she saw the coronet, cried Mr. Holder. Oh, my God, what a blind fool I've been! and his asking to be allowed to go out for five minutes. The dear fellow wanted to see if the missing piece were at the scene of the struggle. How cruelly I have misjudged him. When I arrived at the house, continued Holmes, I at once went very carefully round it to observe if there were any traces in the snow which might help me. I knew none had fallen since the evening before, and also that there had been a strong frost to preserve impressions. I passed along the tradesman's path, but found it all trampled down and indistinguishable. Just beyond it, however, at the far side of the kitchen door, a woman had stood and talked with a man, whose round impressions on one side showed that he had a wooden leg. I could even tell they had been disturbed, for the woman had run back swiftly to the door, as was shown by the deep toe and light heel marks while Wooden Leg had waited a little and then gone away. I thought at the time this might be the maid and her sweetheart, of whom you've already spoken to me, and inquiry showed it was so. I passed round the garden without seeing anything more than random tracks, which I took to be the police. But when I got into the stable lane, a very long and complex story was written in the snow in front of me. There was a double line of tracks from a booted man, and a second double line, which I saw with delight, belonged to a man with naked feet. I was at once convinced from what you'd told me that the latter was your son. The first had walked both ways, but the other had run swiftly, and as his tread was marked in places over the depression of the boot, it was obvious he'd passed after the other. Well, I followed them up, found they led to the hall window, where Boots had worn all the snow away while waiting. Then I walked to the other end, which was a hundred yards or more down the lane. I saw where Boots had faced round, where the snow was cut up as though there had been a struggle, and, finally, where a few drops of blood had fallen, to show me that I was not mistaken. Boots had then run down the lane, and another little smudge of blood showed that it was he who'd been hurt. When he came to the high road at the other end, I found that the pavement had been cleared, so there was an end to that clue. On entering the house, however, I examined, as you remember, the sill and framework of the hall window with my lens. I could see at once that someone had passed out. I could distinguish the outline of an instep where the wet foot had been placed in coming in. 
I was then beginning to be able to form an opinion as to what had occurred. A man had waited outside the window. Someone had brought the gems. The deed had been overseen by your son. He'd pursued the thief and struggled with him. They had each tugged at the coronet, and their united strength caused injuries which neither alone could have effected. He'd returned with the prize, but had left a fragment in the grasp of his opponent. So far I was clear. The question now was, who was the man, and who was it that brought him the coronet? It is an old maxim of mine that when you have excluded the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. Now, I knew that it was not you who brought it down, so there only remained your niece and the maids. But if it were the maids, then why should your son allow himself to be accused in their place? There could be no possible reason. As he loved his cousin, however, there was an excellent explanation why he should remain her secret, the more so as the secret was a disgraceful one. When I remembered that you'd seen her at the window and how she had fainted on seeing the coronet again, my conjecture became a certainty. And who could it be who was her confederate? A lover, evidently, for... Who else could outweigh the love and gratitude which she must feel to you? I knew that you went out little and that your circle of friends was a very limited one, but among them was Sir George Burnwell. I had heard of him before, being a man of evil reputation among women. It must have been he who wore those boots and retained the missing gems. Even though he knew that Arthur had discovered him, he might still flatter himself that he was safe, for the lad could not say a word without compromising his own family. Well, your own good sense will suggest what measures I took next. I went in the shape of a loafer to Sir George's house, managed to pick up an acquaintance with his valet. I learned that his master had cut his head the night before, and finally, at the expense of six shillings, made sure, all sure by buying a pair of his cast-off shoes. With those, I journeyed down to Streatham. I saw that they exactly filled the tracks. I saw an ill-dressed vagabond in the lane yesterday evening, said Mr. Holder. Precisely, it was I. I found that I had my man, so I came home and changed my clothes. It was a delicate part which I had to play then, for I saw that a prosecution must be avoided to avert scandal, and I knew that so astute a villain would see that our hands were tied in the matter. I went, and I saw him. At first, of course, he denied everything, but when I gave him every particular that had occurred, he tried to bluster, took down a life preserver from the wall, I knew my man, however, and I clapped a pistol to his head before he could strike. Then he became a little more reasonable. I told him that we would give him a price for the stones he held, one thousand pounds apiece. That brought out the first signs of grief that he'd shown. Why, dash it all, said he, I've let them go at six hundred for the three. 
I soon managed to get the address of the receiver who had them, on promising him that there would be no prosecution. Off I set to him, and after much chauffeuring, I got our stones at a thousand pounds apiece. And then I looked in upon your son, told him everything was all right, and eventually got to my bed around two o'clock, after what I may call a really hard day's work. A day which was saved England from a great public scandal, said the banker, rising. Sir, I cannot find words to thank you, but you shall not find me ungrateful for what you have done. Your skill has indeed exceeded all that I have heard of it, and now I must fly to my dear boy to apologize to him for the wrong which I have done him. As to what you tell me of poor Mary goes to my very heart. Not even your skill can inform me where she is now. I think that we may safely say, returned Holmes, that she is wherever Sir George Burnwell is. It is equally certain, too, that whatever her sins are, they will soon receive a more than sufficient punishment. Wow! I didn't expect that one! <laughs> Cool. All right, coming up, our final adventure in the Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. It's Chapter 12, The Adventure of the Copper Beaches. And we will have that for you coming up on our stream on Monday night, which is when we'll be back. Cool. All right, thanks so much for popping by. I'm going to try one more time. Miko, are you out there? You want your cookie? Miko, baby, you want your cookie? nothing <laughs> all right well we'll try again on uh, on monday's stream why not i'll see you again enjoy the rest of your weekend thanks this is the jay sheldon show Bye.